everyone. Good morning and welcome to our Heart Story podcast. Today we have a lovely guest, Beth Miller, who is a marriage coach, marriage coach, excuse me, amongst many other amazing things. So thank you so much for joining us, Beth. And please tell us a little bit about yourself, all the other things that you do that encompass your work and um, a little bit about your path to get here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So like you said, I'm Beth Miller. I'm a marriage coach, a consulting hypnotist. I'm a teacher of psychology and a Reiki practitioner. And for the most part, what I really do is I help women who are often on the verge of divorce or really in a place where they're struggling with their marriage, transform themselves to transform their relationship. So um, many women come to me, they just, they want a better marriage. They feel so stuck. And I find as women, we're so intuitive. Like we know we want better, but sometimes our husbands are just kind of complacent thinking, this is just it. Like, I don't want to go to counseling. So I help women so that they feel more empowered. They can change their relationships, which is so wonderful. We don't have to go to couples counseling to save a marriage. That is so profound. And I completely agree. So I was so excited to do this interview with you today. How did you get started on this path of transformation and healing? That's a great story. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's in, it's wild, really. I had a brain bleed. Like that's how I started this journey. I now help marriages because I had a brain bleed. Um, what happened was I was just a really busy mom. I was working full time. I was teaching full time. And all of a sudden I started to lose my ability to walk on my right hand, right side in my be able to write with my right hand. And um, I just thought I had to go to physio. I thought I'd been running too much. I'm an avid runner. I'd run half marathons. And finally I went to the hospital and they did, did a, a scan and they're like, your brain is bleeding. And I spent a month in hospital um, trying to sort all that out. And I came out of the hospital, not able to fully walk or write. And so on that journey, I, I felt stripped of who I was. I'd already been having some marriage struggles, like communication. And we'd been busy. Like my kids at that age were four, sorry, at that time were four, six and eight. Like we were in the trenches of motherhood and fatherhood. And so things were tough. And so I feel like universe, God, whatever you choose to identify with said, Hey Beth, I'm going to shake you up. Cause you're not listening. You're overwhelmed. You're stressed. I'm taking everything away. You can't walk. You can't teach. You can't even be a mom. Let's figure out who you actually are. And that was painful. I had to face a lot of really tough things in there. Like my people pleasing, not feeling good enough, not always feeling lovable. And I had to face some really tough things. And within that process, the skills I learned, what happened was I didn't realize it at the time, but my marriage got a lot better. I stopped needing him to validate certain things. I stopped certain arguments. And I realized women have the ability to really transform all relationships, not just their ones with their husbands, but you can change anything in your life just by starting to work on yourself. And there's like a, there's a a system to this, but really like we truly can have anything we want. Hmm, That's profound. Um, Like the beauty and the pain that's come from, because I'm sure that was a excruciating circumstance all the way around. It was yeah. horrible. It was horrible. I, yeah. I got diagnosed with, I think it's like severe depression and something anxiety. Like I was like, I was, oh, I was a puddle. I was crying every single day. I kept telling my kids, like, this isn't you. Mommy's just really sad. I'm not crying. You didn't do anything wrong because it, it was hard on them too. seeing me that way. It was a really difficult time, but you know what? I look at how it turned my life upside down, but now my life is right side up. Wow. Amazing. What a story. Yeah, it's been a journey, but amazing. I honestly, it's been a great, it's a gift. And I think everything happens for us, not to us. And so often we can take that victim stance of this isn't fair. I didn't want this. Why is this happening to me? This sucks. And you know what it does? You can have those feelings, feel them all. But at the same time, this is happening for you. And I now get to a place when you feel uncomfortable. I get to a place where uncomfortable emotions come up, whether it's fear, whether it's sadness. And I know on the other side of it is better. And I get excited about that. I'm like, this sucks in the moment, but I know if I sit in this long enough, the gifts will come out of it. 
Right. Absolutely. It's bound to transform. Absolutely. There's always the other side. 100%. There's the other side and it's always better. It really is. If you're following your intuition, we'll probably get into some of these steps, but yeah, when we really listen to what we want and we step into fear, you jump off that cliff, good things happen. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that helped me like reroute with the victim, like, cause you don't have a choice. Like you didn't have a choice of your brain bleeding. And so in a sense, you were kind of a victim of the circumstances, but then you don't have to stay in the victim. It's like, what are all the choices that are possible for me? Um, at first yeah. it's like, I only have two choices, like be depressed or act like it's not happening. Like there's not too many choices. And then once you start to really look at how many choices you really have, you see that it's unlimited. And then you no longer can sit in that victim space because everything's opening up to you in all new ways. It's so true. You sit in that pain, but you really do it. You talk to so many women and they're going through tough times. And you're like, how do you do this? Even I do that sometimes. Like, how do you get through your day? Like, I have no other choice. You just have to get through it. Um, but in those moments, there are a lot of tough emotions and those emotions are actually what the gifts are. So when you're feeling angry, sad, upset, um, embarrassed, shame, guilt, whatever emotions you're feeling, it's your catalyst for change because you don't want to feel that anymore. So when we start this work, we really have to know how is it that you want to feel? I want to feel happy. I want to feel confident. I want to feel more at peace. I want that for myself. So then we know where you are now and that you're feeling really low. We know the elevated emotions you want to feel. So then we have to figure out what are the roadblocks in the middle? Like what are the blocks to that? And often those blocks are often our beliefs, our beliefs around not feeling good enough, feeling like a failure, feeling like a fool, feeling like you're settled, feeling like you're not heard. Like there's so many possible beliefs that are in are in the way to you feeling that way so the really the first jumping off point is those uncomfortable emotions because where do you go you got to go up from those emotions or you can go further down if you want then you'll yeah. really get to a red stuff place but if you're ready for it you go up and often that's why health crisis or marriage crisis marriage breakdown those when we're in a lot of pain we realize you know what i don't want to feel this way that's when catalysts like that's when change really happens and unfortunately i wish we could help women change before they get to that point but often you're not in enough pain to do so right Absolutely. Sometimes that is the catalyst to come up and it's like the only way, you know, Absolutely. like that suffering is a choice. It's true. Suffering is a choice. You don't like pain is inevitable. Suffering is the choice. And if you want to stay in that suffering a little bit longer, you can, but it's a yeah. choice. And often we have an intuition. Our intuition is like, I want better, but you hear it, but you have that choice. You can act on it or you cannot act on it. It's completely up to you. So we have choice within our intuition within our pain. And at some point you have to make that choice. If you want out of it, you can't play victim anymore. Right. And the vic there's like a victim part in each person, you know, there's like a little victim that's like, I didn't choose this. I don't want this, you know, and honoring that space too, but then, that then they can choose. hundred mm -hmm, percent. And what I say with that is it's like our parts, like parts therapy. Yeah. So it's like, I see my little Beth that's really hurt and sad. I see my authentic Beth, which is a very much a mothering character, very strong, very light. And when you see the two of them together, you can actually close your eyes and see this. You see your like real authentic you take the hand of that little wounded you and be like, we got this, we can do this together. And so often that's what we have to do. We have the ability to heal ourselves. All our answers are within. We just have to get really still and feel the pain of that wounded self and really take our hand and be like, we got this. It's like, you have to give yourself a little inner pep talk, but you have to believe it. You have to feel it. And then you start to feel it. And you're like, that's the vibration I want to manifest from. That's the vibration that I want to be every single day. Um, you can say, you know what? I want, I want a better job. 
You can just say that. And there's no vibration to it. It's just, I want a better job. But if you say like, I want a better job, I want a job where I have flexibility, where I have freedom, where I can create my own schedule. You sense that enjoyment, like in, in your voice, that's how we manifest. That's a vibration that your brain then starts to fire neurons down neural pathways. And that's how we create the life we want. And that's the same with our marriage or anything. I want better. I can feel that. I can feel that difference and that shift in the tone. And how would you suggest women get to that place of changing the tone to change that vibration? Yeah, it starts with your emotions. So what are you feeling right now? How does that feel? Oh, that's really low and heavy. Like, I hate my life. I hate my job. I'm worrying about my job. I don't want to go. I don't want to see this coworker. That heaviness, that's what you don't want. So what's the opposite? So I'll have women on a page journal out. What is everything you're feeling right now? And let's write on the other side of the page, everything you do want. And that's most likely your authentic voice. And so that's what we want to manifest. We got to figure out why are you stuck in these old patterns? Well, I don't have enough money. Um, my lifestyle is good right now. Like I like, I don't want to miss holidays with my kids. Like if you're talking about relationships and marriage breakdown, I, I like this. So I'm like, okay, well you can stay in that. That's perfectly fine. But this is, that's where we come back to the choice. But if you want different, what baby steps can we start taking towards the other side of the page where there's that happier vibration? So it starts with emotions. We just have to know what your emotions are, what's triggering you. And then we can start to get to the other side of the page. But that's, this is the fun part. This is where you get to create your manifestation list. It's like, okay, where am I? Where do I want to go? And right. that's really exciting. And then from there, we have to do some of the heavy lifting. And that's where the whole toolbox comes out. And we have tons of different tools we can use to clear out those blocks in between the two versions of ourselves. I love that. I also love how you said baby steps, because sometimes you can't jump from shame all the way to joy. You know, it's too big of a gap. So going up incrementally with the toolbox, I think is profound. Yeah, we do it layer by layer and we don't do it in a place where we want to re-traumatize anyone because we sometimes have to deal with some really heavy memories. And because within, I should go back to this, like, because I have a hypnosis background, what we do is within our subconscious mind, which is 95% of our brain power, our conscious mind's only about 5%. And that's where you and I are talking right now. We're analyzing, we're rationalizing, we're discussing, but within our subconscious is where all our memories are stored. And when we have a memory, such as when I was in grade two, I said, I'm just making this one up, but when I was in grade two, I said, two plus two is five. And the class laughed at me. So I have this memory. It's stored in my subconscious mind. I don't maybe necessarily remember it at this moment, but it's there. And from that moment where those kids laughed at me, I thought, you know what? I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. And so that started that belief. And then over time, if we have some more memories that contribute to that same belief where I don't feel good enough, that's layer by layer. We start to develop this belief that I'm not good enough. And there's always an emotion associated with that. Maybe that emotion is shame. Maybe that emotion is sadness. And so that's how we start to get back to some of these old memories. And that's where, if we can work backwards, we start with the memories and start cleaning them up. I call it like subconscious cleanup, where we want to go back to those memories and we want to neutralize the feeling. So instead we can go back to that memory through hypnosis and we can be like, okay, see yourself, see the class laughing. Are they laughing at you? No. What they're doing is they're laughing because they're just kids. And they think it's just funny that someone messed up an equation for two plus two, but that little five-year-old brain or six-year-old brain of you took it very personal, right? Because she was seeking out validation and love from others. And so instead we take our empowerment back over that memory. And that's what really starts to transform our lives even into the future where we start to feel good enough. And so layer by layer, we start to peel these back. We can't just be like, okay, I'm free of shame today. No, there's, there's many things that contribute to it. And what about if the memories that imprinted were beyond your scope of memory? Like what if you can't, they're too far back? 
that's okay. Often what we need to know comes up. So I wouldn't stress too much about things I don't remember. Cause sometimes women will come to me, they're like, something bad happened to me as a kid. I don't remember it. Like we don't need to go there. That's okay. What we need to know will be revealed to us. And that's a big trust piece. I trust that everything that I need to know will fall into my lap. And especially even when day to day, like with the women I work with in terms of infidelity, they just want to catch their husband's lying. They, they're constantly checking the phone or checking records or tracking. And like, we need to just surrender this. If you're choosing to work on your marriage, you choose to trust right now. And you just need to trust that everything that you need to know will come at exactly the right time. And that's the same with some of that deep subconscious work too, in terms of the memories. Right. Yeah. That hyper vigilance to know everything, to feel safe, and it's safe that safety in that particular regard is such an illusion, which I had to experience my own um, lesson of that the hard way to find safety within first. And then the outside really reflects safety. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so you have to find that inner safety. Like, yeah. And I'll, like, sometimes I'll have women just visualize, like close your eyes and go to a place that feels safe. So we have to create that safe place within us. And it's so amazing. A lot of people end up at their grandparents' houses. They end up on their grandparents' porches, their grandparents' like living room. For me, I didn't have that. I create my own place. It's like a beautiful place in nature. It's like a combination of like Fiji with like um, with like the red forests in, or the redwoods in California. It's like this beautiful combination of something I've created. And that's my safe place. So you can actually go there and you can put your feet in the water or sit on grandma's porch with grandma beside you. And we create that safe place within us. And when you're in there, you always ask yourself, what is it that I need? And you can get those answers. What is it that I need? I need to feel safe. And okay, how can we make you feel safe? That's the next question. Well, I need to, and then whatever comes up next. And that's usually your answer. Like I said, the answers are always within us. And so you just have to get clear, create that safe space within yourself. Ask you that, what do I need? And then how do I get that? And see what answers come up. And you mentioned at one point that boundaries is also a part of this work, potentially with you and your clients. Like if you're finding out what you need, it may be around boundaries created to help you get there also. Yeah. Boundaries. Okay. So to all those people pleasers out there, all those um, people that feel like they're taken advantage of, because they're just so nice. All those nice people, like this is often a boundary issue. We, we don't hold boundaries because often we don't want others to think of us in an ill light, or we don't want to rock the boat, or often we don't hold boundaries because of fear. If we're talking about our relationship with our husband, we almost don't want to set a boundary sometimes because we, we fear that we'll push them further away. We're almost happy with status quo, which is being kind of disrespected or not being talked to nice because it's better than the alternative. But instead, when we actually set that boundary, you might be the shakeup that he needs too to get his act together. Um, because when you're in a romantic relationship, romantic relationships are like you're each other's greatest teachers. And often you're like wounded, wounded parts, talking to wounded parts. And so he might need that. So if you're keeping him in status quo as well, that's not fair either. So you can be that like person that's going to shake things up, but for the better. And often things get a little bit worse before they get better. Because sometimes when you start to show up as this empowered self, that's not as triggered and not as not arguing as much. Sometimes your partner's like, who are you? You think you're better than me, but really you're just holding space for them to vent their opinions and stuff. So when it comes to boundaries, yeah, you really got to get clear on what authentically feels right and what fear is associated with that. Why am I scared of holding this boundary? Is it that if it's work, is it that, you know what, they might not give me another opportunity like this if I turn this one down. So fear is often a driver of not setting healthy boundaries. 
Yeah, absolutely. And you said it may get worse before it gets better. And this is so true because if you're choosing to change and you're choosing to break that pattern and holding a higher vibration for where you need and expect people to show up for you, there could be a little resentment at first, you know? Definitely resentment for sure. Because they're like, who are you? They don't almost recognize you, but it's amazing though. When you start to show up with this better vibration, this like happy, confident person that has these boundaries, it's almost like you put this invisible bubble around you and their words the messaging behind the words doesn't always penetrate you. Cause it's amazing. We have these like filters on our ears and sometimes someone will say what's for dinner and you don't interpret it just as what's for dinner. It's like salmon and rice and broccoli. You interpret uh-huh. it as what do you, like you might interpret it as you think oh, I should have dinner ready. I'm not, I'm not good enough because I don't have dinner ready. Like it's incredible how we start to interpret someone's simple statement and who knows what their intention was behind it. But anyway, like if you have this beautiful, like energetic boundary around you, you'll just see it as, okay, what's for dinner? This is for dinner. And so when you start to break that habit, they're used to fighting, they're used to certain things, but instead this vibration is actually going to change their vibration. It's like when you go to a party, you can feel the energy. It's exciting. When you go to a funeral, it's heavy. So it's the same with your partner. When he starts to sense that you're this like party, you're the vibration that's higher. um, He'll like attract like law of attraction, law of vibration, law of attraction. He'll start to gravitate towards that too. And if he doesn't, then you'll start to sense that, you know what, this isn't the right relationship for me. But so often I'll have wives, it doesn't happen right away, but usually they work with me for about 12 weeks, but usually within week or sorry, month two, all of a sudden there'll be this like little nugget from their husband where they'll start to open up such as like, you know what, I don't think I'm over the like death of my sister. Or you know what, I've been really sad for like a good month or so. Like it's amazing how they'll start to drop these little nuggets. And it's because they're feeling safe to open up to you. Your vibration feels safer to them. It feels more loving. It feels kind. And so that resentment, they start to get over that piece. It's so true. Exactly what you're saying that the women are like, why won't you tell me anything? Why won't you connect with me? And the man doesn't feel safe. Then the woman doesn't feel safe because he's not connecting. So the woman literally has to, to change first yeah. and create that vibration, the, the vibration that kind of leads him into the next place. Yeah. I call it holding space. You're like the container, but your container has to have very strong boundaries. Okay. Loving strong boundaries. Like boundaries aren't like, they're not always negotiable, but they're not firm, but they're, they're loving and soft, but they don't break. So you have to hold space for them because they're going to be going through their own stuff too. Like they're going to have to like they might be if you've been their punching bag for a while and I don't mean punching bag but you've been an outlet for them to really unleash some of their their anger and upset like they've been projecting onto you like if they're frustrated with work they come home and they show you that they're frustrated with work um but you have to hold that space and then within that you hold boundaries I'm going to take a walk right now because I don't want to be I don't like the way this conversation is going so you start to hold better boundaries but within that you're showing that you respect yourself that you also want respect from them and so that's what helps them change too they get a chance to see into themselves you're mirroring to them things about themselves absolutely and how like what are some signs that couples could be headed towards divorce at least in a woman's mind okay so signs of divorce Oh, you know what? I don't know because there's signs of marriage breakdown, but in terms of divorce, that's so personal because we all tolerate different things. We all have different standards. Like there's societal standards. A lot of times women or sorry, society would say, if your husband cheats, your marriage is over. But I find that's not the truth. I have so many of my clients, like three quarters of my practice is infidelity. And 
it's not on purpose. It's just the way it is. Women who have been cheated on are in a lot of pain and they want help and they often want to save their marriages. They want to give it one more try. And so they do. And it's amazing how when they can start to trust again, they can get their husband on board too. They can fix a lot of the marriage struggles they were having. Their husband comes back and that blip of infidelity whether it was a month, two months, or even a year, it becomes just part of their story. It became a chapter. It doesn't define their marriage. So it's really difficult. Like there's a lot of signs that a marriage is struggling and heading down the wrong path, such as like, we all know communication is an issue. The other one would be like emotional intimacy um, or physical intimacy. So communication, intimacy, trust is a big piece in there as well. And so those are like the three big breakdowns. And a lot of times I hear money has a big stem of arguments and stuff too. But that doesn't mean you're going to head for divorce. Those things are all fixable. Mm -hmm. Um, How about any suggestions to kind of help a fair proof their marriage? Ooh, yeah. Fair proof your marriage. So, well, big part is trust, right? Or open communication. And that's where this happens is communication. Like all of a sudden they'll notice this, like talking to a wife today, she's like, I can see back that there's a period of eight months where I got really busy with work. I stopped putting an effort into the marriage. I was like long meetings during the day. I wasn't helping out as much around the house. My husband was taking over a lot of the kid duties and dinner duties. And during that time, he was also grieving his, I think it was his mother that passed. And so they're both kind of on these separate agendas. And instead of coming together, doing check-ins every once in a while, they just kind of kept coasting, kept going with it. And that's so often what happens is we just get busy with lives and we don't put our our spouses on the forefront and thinking they're just always going to be there. But instead what happens is we sometimes start to drift, but we don't communicate that or we don't notice it. And that's when trouble starts to happen. And I think the more you can recognize and just be aware of what you want, like, what do you want from your relationship? Are you getting it? If you're not getting it, then you need to communicate that. So you don't continue to drift further and further. And that's probably what happens the most. Mm -hmm. The drifting aspect. Perfect. Like he needs a present female and she needs a present male, but both of them are getting that elsewhere. Sometimes. Yeah. Often with like, yeah, we could go there too. Like work colleagues, you have that emotional connection. You see them eight hours a day. So you might be having not an emotional affair, but you're getting connection elsewhere. And so then you get home, you're busy, you're tired, you're exhausted. There's not always time for that. Plus there's the endless to-do list of things just to do around the house or with kids. So yeah, it's so easy to drift apart. And that's where that awareness has to come in. Okay. It's this almost like doing an audit, like a marriage audit, like even once a month being like, okay, how's our communication? Let me rank it. How's our intimacy emotionally? How's our physical intimacy? How's the trust feeling right now? Like when we can check in on all of those and just see what's going on, am I making quality time for my spouse? And that looks different for everyone, but just are my needs being met? Right. Right. And what would you suggest if, let's say the woman notices these things and tries to communicate and he's like, babe, you're making all this up. This is just, there's no problems. Everything's fine. You know, but I think that's pretty common as well. So common. So that's when, like, that's when I come in, like, not just me, but the method of transform yourself to transform your relationship. Okay. He's not seeing what I'm seeing. And you know what I need to, I need different. So I'm going to start on my own soul search here. And that soul search starts again with your emotions. Okay. When I have these conversations or when I feel neglected or when I feel he's not meeting my love languages, what's coming up. And simply it's two things. number one, it's usually something within you that you need to shift some work within yourself, such as 
Um, I feel like I've settled. Maybe that's the belief that's coming up. Okay. When he acts like this, I feel like I've settled. Why did I marry him? Okay. Let's look into that. Or it could be a boundary. Like if you're communicating over and over again, that your love language is quality time, but he's not meeting it. Then that's a boundary. So then we have to figure out, okay. And when it comes to love languages, now I'm off on a tangent, like a love language, if your husband's is different than yours, we can't just expect them to meet our love language all the time. If it's not their dominant love language, like if mine's quality time and my husband's was uh, acts of service, he can remind me that he needs more acts of service and I can remind him I need more quality time because when it's not your, also your love language, sometimes it's not natural to give, but um, that's a whole, like a different angle that we're going on here. But I think it's just, it's really important to take ownership of what you want in any aspect of your life with any of your relationships we have to decide what is it that I want and then figure out how to go after it. Right. And with the quality time and acts of service, that's a really, really good one because men show you that they love you with acts of service quite often. Like they're doing something for you. That's like active love. Women just want the presence. Women want to know that the man's present with them and that she has their attention, even if they're not even doing anything too exciting, but just feeling them there with them and that they're fully connected in that space. Um, like how to get back to that if someone's kind of distracting themselves or like maybe they have an intention of quality time, but they're so distracted. Um, what's, what's some advice for that? Yeah, then you might have to plan ahead. Plan yeah. ahead because like we're, we're so busy and our phones are constantly distracting. So it's like, okay, Friday, half an hour on the couch, you and I, no phones. It's something simple. It can be five minutes. It can be 10 minutes, but maybe it's five minutes. That's all you can get. Okay. We're putting our phones down tomorrow night at nine o'clock when the kids are in bed for five minutes. And we're just going to sit there um, and hang out. So sometimes it has to be really scheduled, which is really not sexy and not organic, but that's a starting off point when we've drifted for so long in one direction, we can't just habits. Okay. We can't just change a habit that fast. Habits are ingrained within us, our subconscious. So kind of like I was talking about early, we have these memories, <laughs> the memory happens when I got, I got laughed at because I said the wrong answer. Um, I thought I was not good enough. It creates this emotion of shame, but then it creates a habit of, you know what? I'm not going to speak up for myself anymore. I'm not going to communicate because what if I get the answer wrong? Other people are going to think that I'm stupid. So that creates that habit. So the same thing with your partner, when we start getting onto our phones, what are we doing? Is it I'm escaping? I'm too stressed out. So this is now the habit I'm going to use. So it's amazing how we have to break these habits. But again, we have to get to those root beliefs of why someone's on their phone all the time. So now we're talking about phone addiction, but it's, it's incredible. We all have habits and we have to break them slowly. Right. Perfect. So it's all a process. Oh, it's a whole process. It's really fun though. It really is. Like if you want to do it, it can get really exciting. It's getting curious is what it is. Instead of getting into the heavy emotion, it's like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Why is it here? What do I need to give myself? What is it that I want? What fear is here? When we start to look at that, that's when we can really change our lives. Right. Absolutely. I think too, with the drifting is kind of like not to give up giving your attention to that person too. Like sometimes you may just think, oh my gosh, they're just so frustrating to deal with. I'm just going to start spending time doing all these other things, but to kind of catch yourself if you're going in that direction and reinvest your energy back again into them or making the plan like you're suggesting or kind of going back in the right direction rather than keep drifting. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the ownership, right? Like, okay, what is my part? What is my role in this? And I take my clients through a marriage audit. Like I talked about the audit a little bit earlier, but 
an audit where, okay, what version of me is showing up every single day? Is this the authentic me? Because back to that, like, who am I right now? Like, I'm, I'm an egg or I'm complaining too much, but because you don't feel heard. Like when it comes to resentment, resentment, we don't want to feel resent, resentful, but it's often because we've hit resistance. Like we're asking for something, we hit resistance, resistance, resistance. And over time that creates resentment because they're just not meeting our needs. And then with that creates rejection. So over time, you're like, you know what? They're not meeting my needs. I feel resentful. Now I'm just rejected. I'm not even going to try. So we have to look at what's been happening and why we're showing up this way. You know what? I don't want to be that rejected, resentful person anymore. So what am I going to do to, to release that? Because I'm just holding those emotions hostage within me. It's not doing anything to him. I'm just showing up as a negative person around him. I don't want to be that person. So how am I going to change that? So that's where we really like can start to change our lives. How do you um, suggest changing resentment? Because that can be a sticky one. Mm, that is a sticky up one. For a long amount of time. <laughs> yeah. So what are your expectations? Your expectations of your partner? Are they realistic? Have they been communicated? And if they have been communicated, are they actually able to meet them? And if they're not able to meet them, can I get help elsewhere? Can I delegate this task? Do I actually even need this task anymore? Is there like limiting beliefs? Are there reasons why I'm holding on to this that I think this is the way things should be done when really, you know what, it's not actually that important. It's just, I've created this belief within me that I don't know, the dishwasher needs to be loaded with the, with the bowls in this certain position. Like this is a silly example, or I think that all laundry should be picked up on off the floor or that the kitchen should be spotless before bed. Like, do I have certain beliefs that I'm holding that, you know what, those aren't his beliefs. He'd rather focus on, I don't know, reading to the kids at bedtime versus having a really clean kitchen. So I think it's really just looking at doing and analyzing what, what beliefs you're bringing into the marriage and are they, are they negotiable or are they like, nope, this is what I need. And that's when we can really decide whether resentment can go in certain areas. But again, looking at the resentment, do I want to hold this anymore? No, I'm going to let this go. So then there's a process with letting it go too. That's very, um, very intelligent to, see what you can actually let go of because you come into the marriage with tons of beliefs and imprints from when you were young and the movies you saw for relationships and exactly how you think he should be talking to you and kissing you good morning with a certain amount of passion and all the things you know and a lot of it's stories yes it is it's the story we tell ourselves oh that's so true Disney what did Disney do to us yeah but it's also like to, to, to keep hold still of that idealist that loves the romance and wants to be close and connected with the partner, you know, so like finding that balance of your heart really desires and what can be let go of. Yes. And you know what, if we were to get into like the psychology of this all, like Sternberg's triangle of love, like it says there's different, seven different types of love and one is passion but that's often one that we have in that courtship stage and passion doesn't stay around the same way into 20 years of marriage or even five years of marriage and so i think understanding the different types of love is really powerful too um like agape like the greek type of love which is like just this beautiful love that you would give like to a baby right like you love a baby unconditionally and you're not expecting love back and so that type of love is just so profound that we could bring into our marriage but 
when we're so used to passion, which we might see in the Disney movies, that that type of love isn't realistic to stay on because of the chemicals that are associated, the hormones, the like the endorphins, the the oxytocin, the dopamine that's associated with it just isn't being produced within our body in the same capacity. So I think when you can start to study some of the science behind it, you're like, okay, that type of love isn't realistic for our marriage five years in. Sure, we can create it by going on a date night and making things fun and flirty for a little while, but it's not actually sustainable to have that much chemical endorphins running through our body all the time. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. Well, I loved every um, thing that we shared today. Is there anything that you wanted to add before we started to wrap up? Oh, sure. Like if anyone listening, they want some free resources. I have a few things. If you're struggling with your marriage, I have a guide called three ways to save your marriage. And you can go to www.freemarriageguide.com. Or if anyone would like to try, I have what's called a hypno journey. Uh, I can give it to you so it's in your show notes too, but you can go to my website and uh, download a hypno journey. It's like a deep meditative track that's rooted in hypnosis, but it allows you to connect with your true self. So um, it's a free one that I have on my website if anyone feels like doing a really deep meditation. So you could try that stuff out. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you so much for those gifts. And I'll have your website underneath of this podcast as well, in case anyone would like to reach out. Do you coach women or men and women? primarily women. I do work with some men, but I prefer to work with women. And just because there's some, like, we just know we intuitively, we're so strong and I'm not saying men aren't, but so many women I work with, they just, they so badly want more and they want better. And I just find them so much fun to work with. They're so open to this work. So typically I work with women, um, but I do have some male clients as well. They have to meet some criteria though. They have to really be able to go deep into some of this work and do the hard work. Cause this isn't easy. It's an adventure. It's a journey to really do the transformational work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your beauty and wisdom with us today. And what a beautiful path you have so much wisdom to share. Um, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks, Carolyn, for having me.